Right, um, just before we start, let's open with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you again for this time that we could come and hear from your word, Lord. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you just be with me today as I bring forth this message, Lord. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you just open my mouth and uh, let it be clear, Lord, and that everyone here today would be uh, fulfilled in their hearts with the message, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you touch their hearts, whether they be saved or unsaved, Lord, and the message will go through, Lord. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that you continue to bless us during this time. We ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Last week, Pastor Frank spoke about heaven. And he described what heaven would be like. He also explained that only believers, born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, would see heaven or even partake of heaven. He also used that as an analogy to encourage believers to remember that the end of the race is not here on earth, not when we die, but rather that we should look forward to heaven and remember that it's a goal that we will achieve. We should never lose focus on that. I think that's one of his main points that he was pointing out to, that sometimes we get lost around the things in the world and too many things in the world just get in the way. And we sometimes lose focus of heaven. Throughout the Bible, there's always been shown two paths or two roads which we can travel on. The one road, which would be the narrow road, leads to heaven. But the other road, the broad road that everyone is traveling on, is not saved, leads to hell and destruction. Now, one of the sad things about today is that many of the churches today don't actually preach about hell. You'd be find hard-pressed to find any of the churches, the modern churches today, that will even mention the topic of hell. There would be, even if you had to look at the archives, you wouldn't find a sermon on this topic. The modern, ter- modern churches prefer to talk about heaven. They want to talk about God of love, a God that loves you. And they, 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 by that implication, they actually imply that God won't send you to hell, that all they want to talk about is heaven. Many of the gospel outreach out there as well, what they try to do is they try to share the Romans' road to salvation and get someone to read the sinner's prayer or pray the sinner's prayer. But there's no conviction. There's no conviction in that person when they speak to them beforehand. So these churches will claim that they have like 100 people saved this week or maybe 50 people that next week. But if it, in reality, if you actually look at the church itself, you don't see any growth in the church. You never see that the church goes from 10 people to 20 people or 100 people, the number of people that are saved. Those people that are supposedly saved have been led to false assumption that they are saved and going to heaven because there's no conviction in their heart. The, the, the word has not been penetrated into their hearts. You see that there's no, the, the other, th- other thing that you find out in these people that are so, so-called converted is that you don't see any change in their lives. There's no fruit. There's no difference. From the moment that they are saved to the time uh, before they're saved to the time that they are saved, you don't see any difference. They don't love the Bible. They don't want to read the Bible. They don't want to attend church. They just want to continue on their lives just as they were. And it begs, you beg the question, are they actually saved? But in one of the, many of the new churches and the, uh, the churches of today, 
they only focus on that. They focus on numbers. They focus on rock concerts. They're trying to get people there and all psyched up and hyped up. And they have a wonderful number of people attending these churches. But the truth of the matter is, is it really true that these people are saved? Have they actually been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ? Are they going to heaven? Now, please don't get me wrong when I say that preaching that, the, <clears throat> that God is a God of love is not true. It is true. God is a God of love. In John chapter 3, verse 16, we have God's, um, the scripture reading says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. The question you've got to ask yourself is, that's, that's common scripture that is preached over and over again. And you probably find many people in the new churches would know that, that piece of scripture. But the question you've got to ask yourself is, why did God have to give his only begotten son? If God loved the world so much, why did he have to give his only begotten son? The reason is, is that God is a holy God. God is a righteous God. And God is also a just God. This is the message that the modern churches fail to, <clears throat> fail to mention. They neglect, they neglect to say that God is a holy God. They neglect to say that God is a righteous God. And they neglect to say that God is a just God. If you only preach this message that God is a God of love, and not preach God is a God of judgment, well, you're only pre preaching half the counsel of God. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 2, warns us that we must preach the full counsel of God, not only half. If you only preach God is a God of love, why, why would Jesus have to die? If you don't preach God is a God of righteousness and judgment, what is the consequence of your sin? What would stop you from sinning? And why would there need to be a change in you? If God loves you so much, and God does, and you only preach that, why would there be a hell? Today I want to preach about hell, and I want to actually preach about the reality that hell exists. And it's not just a story or a figment of your imagination. So the scripture reading today is going to be from Luke chapter 16, and we'll read Luke chapter 16 from verse 19. Luke chapter 16 from verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fed sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid in, at his gate full of sores and desired to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tongue, uh, tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy goods, good things, and likewise Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, 
so that they which would pass from thence to you cannot. Neither can they pass unto us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou would send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that may that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither would, will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. <clears throat> The story that's related here by Jesus is a real story. It is not a story that is a imagery or a metaphor or anything like that. It's a real story about two people. It's about two people. One is a rich man and the other one's Lazarus. Now the first thing I want to point out in this passage that we read here is that the name of the rich man is not mentioned. Look at verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fed sumptuously every day. He's not, his name is not mentioned in Scripture. But we do know the name of, Laz- uh, of the poor man, of the beggar. And that is verse 20. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which laid in his gate full of sores. The important thing to note here is Le- Lazarus was a beggar, but he was a child of God. And Jesus knew his name because he was a child of God. However, the rich man was not God's child. He was actually a child of the devil. And hence, Jesus did not mention his name. Jesus knew his name, but he didn't mention his name. There's a difference. Jesus knows his children. He knows everyone. But he chooses to mention in scripture uh, Lazarus' name. Now, I just want to make a note here. From this passage, it would appear that uh, beggars and poor people will go to heaven and rich men will go to hell. This is not true. Okay? It's nothing to do with whether you're rich or poor. Examples of people that were very wealthy that are in heaven are Abraham, King David, Job. There's quite a few more. It's not to do with your monetary status. Okay? The deciding factor of whether you go to heaven or to hell is if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour. That's the deciding factor. In today's message, I want to focus on eight things. Henceforth, the thick package. (laughs) I want to to focus on eight things that unbelievers, people who are not saved, find out after death. Today, each person here is travelling on one of two roads. There's a broad road, on the broad path, that leads to destruction, And there's a narrow road that leads to heaven. I just want to turn back to Matthew. Keep your place in uh, Luke 16. We're going to come back to there. Just turn to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13 to 14. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. And we have Jesus describing the, the, the two roads here. Okay, Luke chapter 7, verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. 
Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So, this are two paths that we're all traveling on. Every single one here today. There's no one that's not on the path. Right? Those that have trust in Christ is the narrow path. Those that are not is on the broad path. So we go back to verse <coughs> Luke chapter 16. The first thing I want to point out from this passage about what unbelievers find out at death is that the path that you're traveling on, you reach your destination immediately. All right? So read verse 22 and verse 23. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. You get to your destination immediately. The path that you're on today, if you had to die right now, you'd be at your destination. There is no purgatory. There is no delay. Immediately. If you read the scriptures which we just read, both the believer and the unbeliever reach their destination, the end of the road, whether it be heaven or hell, when they die, straight away. The second thing an unbeliever finds out at death is that hell is a real place. Many, many atheists will believe, or people who refuse religion or refuse Christianity, believes that hell's a figment of imagination. Something that will scare people to go into church. But it's not true. It's not a figment of imagination. It's a real place. We'll see here, if we look at verse 23, and in hell, this is a rich man, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. We see here that the rich man was fully conscious. He existed after death. Now, I want to describe a bit about hell. And we just uh, turn to Luke, just go back a couple of pages, to Luke chapter 12, verse 5. Luke chapter 12, verse 5. Luke chapter 12, verse 5 says, I will forewarn warn you, uh, 12, verse 5, but I will forewarn you, whom ye shall fear. Fear him, which after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Jesus is warning the multitudes against hell. Now in that passage, the Greek word that was used for hell, that was used by Jesus, was Gehenna. Now, Gehenna. We don't speak Greek, so what does Gehenna? What is Gehenna? Gehenna was given to the valley of Hinnon, just outside Jerusalem. And it was a picture that Jesus was trying to portray to the people of what hell would be like. There was a place where, it was a place where all the garbage and all the rubbish from the city of Jerusalem was burnt. Night and day, there was fires going on non-stop to burn the rubbish. There was smoke, there was heat, there were smoldering fires. And it's a perfect picture which we in our human form can see you know, well, in Jerusalem in the day of what hell would be like. Now, a modern day example would be like if we had an incinerator, something like that, and we've seen pictures of incinerators in movies and things like that, where things are burned, where all the rubbish and toxic stuff is all burned. However, many of us have never seen an incinerator in real life. 
So we don't really get a real picture of what that would be like. So the, pic the, the picture of, of the valley, where it's all burning and everything's burning nonstop, was a very good picture, especially for the people in, in, in Jesus' day. Now, many atheists don't believe in hell, but it makes no difference. When they die, they will be in hell. It would make no difference whether you believe hell exists or not. It makes it not one degree cooler than any other time. It will just be as hot. Okay, the third thing an unbeliever realizes after death is that he has a memory. Now, I want to turn verse, um, Luke, go back to Luke chapter 16 and verse 25. I will read there. <clears throat> and Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. The rich man had a memory after death. And every one of us will have a memory after death. He remembers every event of his life. He remembers all his acquaintances. He remembers every friend. He remembers every an uh, enemy. Everything he remembers in hell is actually vivid and clear. There's nothing forgotten. You know, one day, you know, while we are still living in this body, we, we forget things. I forget things as well. My wife will tell you a lot. I forget, I forget to do certain things. And we, and, and we find it's a wonderful thing where we remember certain things, like we remember the wedding anniversary, or we remember, you know, the birthday. But sometimes we forget special times when we first met, or things like that. But in hell, that's not the case. Every memory will be clear, crystal clear, and you'll never forget one thing. And that's the reality of it. There is no sleep in hell. So you can't just go to sleep and say, let me forget things for a while. There is no sleep in hell. There's no distractions in hell. There's no entertainment in hell. Many times in the movies you'll say, oh, we'll see you in hell, we'll have a great time with Satan and his friends. There is no entertainment in hell. And the most important thing to remember, there's no death in hell. Death will never come. The unbeliever in hell will remember every time that the gospel of Jesus Christ is presented to him, only to be rejected by him. And he will lament and he will wail every time he thinks about this. The fourth thing that unbelievers find out in hell is that hell is a place of unimaginable torment. We just read from verse 24, uh, 23 and 24. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. First thing to note, all right, is in verse 23. The word torments, it's plural. Not one, not singular, it's plural. All right? So when we think about hell sometimes, we just think about it being a place of burning and fire. That may be only one of the torments that you endure in hell. But I'm only going to focus on one right now. In verse 24, we read, um, he, And he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, 
that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. In verse 24, we see that one torment is a torment of a flame. A flame that never dies. A flame that never consumes. A flame that continues to torment the soul of the damned eternally. Now the torment of this rich man was, was so great in such a short period of time. If we read the passage, it's, he looks up straight away, when in hell. Very short period of time after his death. And he was requesting that one drop of water would cool his tongue. Just imagine that. One drop of water in that short period of time would cool this person's tongue. How bad and how severe must that torment be? I mean, we can never imagine that here on this earth. My wife and I, we used to work in Mount Isa a while back. And many times, it got really hot up there. And you get back from work, and you're really thirsty. So you have a nice cold glass of water or juice or something, and you drink it. But that one glass never satisfied. You have to say, oh, let me have another one. So you have another one, maybe two or three. And you feel, okay, I feel good. Three or four glasses to cool you down in a real hot day. But in this passage, we see that the flame of torment is so severe that one drop, one drop, that we wouldn't even feel, we wouldn't even notice here on earth, that one drop makes a huge difference and would cool this person's tongue. I have a quote from Spurgeon on how he describes hell. This is what Spurgeon has to say about hell. There's a real fire in hell. As truly as as you have a real body, with your nerves laid raw with searing flames and the acrid smoke of sulfurous flames searing your lungs, you will cry out for the mercy of death, but it shall never, never, no, never come. It's an awesome description of what hell is. The fifth thing that an unbeliever finds out at death is that hell is irreversible. We read verse 26. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from thence, from hence to you cannot Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. There is a great chasm between heaven and paradise. No one can cross the great divide from either side. There's no comfort or hope for someone in hell because there's no way out. They cannot cross over to paradise. It is utter hopelessness. This utter hopelessness itself is a torment for the person, unbeliever in hell. It is totally hopeless for them. There's a quote from Dante's Inferno. It signed the entrance of hell. And it reads, Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. If you enter into hell, there is no hope. We're not, in our days today, while we're still alive, you know, it doesn't matter how bad things may be how bad work may be, how bad our situation would be, whether we've got no food or anything. There's always that hope that something will get better. 
There's always that hope where we can actually say, all right, maybe tomorrow will be a better day. Go to sleep tonight, tomorrow will be a better day. There's that hope which we have. But the person in hell has no hope. There is no hope. There is no way out. He's there for all eternity. The sixth thing that an unbeliever finds out in hell is that they have a concern for the lost. They have a concern for everyone who's not saved here on earth. We'll read from verse 27 to 31. <clears throat> and he said, Then said he, Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou would send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one were, went unto them from the dead, they would repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. The rich man, when he realized his hopeless estate, turns to the life of his family. He realized that his family was not saved. And if they continued in the path that they were going, they were going to follow him into hell. The rich man didn't want his family to join him, for he knew his situation. He knew how, what torment he was in. He knew what hopelessness he had. He was concerned for the souls of the lost. He asked for a miracle to happen so his family could be saved, so that they would not join him in hell. Now, sometimes we tend to get separated from our family. Like Vash and I, at the moment, we separate quite a bit due to work commitment. And it's sometimes very hard when you're separated from someone that you love, someone that you, you, you enjoy the company with. Sometimes it would be for a week, a month, a year. Sometimes our families are quite remote, so we only get to see them maybe every two or three years. But the interesting thing is when we get together with them, we just love the company. We'd love to be with them, and we have wonderful fellowship. However, this man, he didn't even want to have any fellowship with his family in hell. He wanted his family saved, that they would be in heaven, which would be better than that they would be in hell with him. And that's the difference. Christian, just something to remember. If we had a glimpse of hell, if we really had a little, just a small glimpse, if we really understood what hell was, if we really understood what torment in hell was like, or what the lost would go, go through in hell, our souls would be pricked. We would have this piercing concern for the lost. We would plead with every single member of our family that is not saved, whether it be friends, work colleagues, that they would not go to hell. We'd be on our knees every night praying for them, that there's salvation, because that's what hell is. We don't realize how severe hell is, but the reality is that we should never stop praying for them until they're saved. We should never stop. We should never stop sharing the gospel. We should never stop sharing the message of salvation. The seventh thing the unbeliever finds out in hell is that he knows 
that he deserves to be there. We've read through this whole passage, and there's no way in this passage is there a question where that person says, I don't belong here. There's no way in that passage where you see from the rich man a question that says, how can I get out? He knows that he deserves to be there. There's no plea from the rich man on how to escape. Nowhere does he say that he's innocent. Nowhere does he say that he does not deserve that place. He accepts his fate. He accepts his state. If we read earlier what the rich man actually asked for, when he asked Lazarus, um, Abraham to get Lazarus to drop a drop onto his tongue, was for mercy. What he was actually asking for was for relief, a momentary relief from the torment and from what he knew he deserved. So if you read verse 24, it says, And he cried unto, and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. There's no sense in that passage where he is saying, I don't belong here. He knew he belonged there. He knew he deserved it. And he was asking for mercy. The eighth and final thing that unbeliever realizes after death is that the way of salvation is in the Bible. We'll just read verse 29 and verse 30. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. God's word is the good news. There's nothing we can do to get to heaven. Not, not one of us here, not one of us here can do any good works. No matter of ki- no good kind, or no amount of kindness that we can offer to people. Nothing we can do in our own strength will get us to heaven. God in his mercy and his love, he made a way to reconcile sinful man to himself. And it's only by faith that one is saved. Turn to Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6. Uh, We're going to read from verse 5. This is God speaking to um, Abraham. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now towards heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord and it was counted unto him, accounted it to him for righteousness. I'll just read Habakkuk verses 24, uh, verses 2, verse 4. Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. The only thing that will save you is faith in Jesus Christ. Abraham believed God's word, and that was counted to him for righteousness, and that was faith. Habakkuk 2 verse 4 says, the just shall live by faith. Faith is the key. 
John chapter 3 verse 16, and I'm sure everyone knows it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent Jesus his Son to earth to die for sinful man, according to the scriptures. He was buried and rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. If we believe in him by faith, we can be reconciled to God and adopted into his family and have eternal life. Now one thing to note is God did not send the rich man in rage to hell. But his justice acknowledges his choice in life and sent him where he chose to go. The rich man chose to go to hell because he rejected God's mercy and God's salvation through Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, don't delay. You've got to make a decision today because you never know. We could step out here, get on the highway and have an accident and we'll be in eternity right now. Hell is a real place. While you're still alive, you have a choice. If you're not so saved, please talk to someone. Talk to someone before you leave this place. Christian, brethren, we have the good news. Our family, our friends are not saved, our work colleagues. What are we doing about that? Do we care enough to share the good news with them? They may rebuke us, they may call us names, but do we care enough and do we realize the severity of hell that we could share the good news to them? Now there's um, a hymn I wanted to sing, but... I actually have the words. I'm going to read this hymn out. I know there's at least two people in this congregation who will know the hymn. If If I end up singing, please forgive me. But I'd like you to listen to the words of this hymn. Life at best is very brief, like a falling of a leaf, like the binding of a she, be in time. Fleeting days are telling fast, that the die will soon be cast and the fatal line be passed, be in time. Be in time, be in time. While the voice of Jesus calls you, be in time. If in sin you longer wait, you may find no open gate and your cry be just too late, be in time. Various flowers soon decay, youth and beauty pass away. You have, oh, you have not long to stay, be in time. While God's Spirit bids you come, sinner, do, no, do not longer roam, lest you see all your hopeless doom, be in time. Be in time, be in time. While the voice of Jesus calls you, be in time. If in sin you longer wait, you may find no open gate, and your cry be just too late. Be in time. Time is gliding swiftly by. Death and judgment draweth nigh. To the arms of Jesus fly. Be in time. Oh, I pray you count the cost. Ere the fatal line be crossed. And your soul in hell be lost. Be in time. Be in time. 
be in time. While the voice of Jesus calls you, be in time. If in sin you longer wait, you may find no open gate. And your cry be just too late, be in time. Sinner, heed the warning voice. Make the Lord your final choice. Then all heaven will rejoice, be in time. Come from darkness into light. Come let Jesus make you right. Come receive his life tonight, be in time. Be in time, be in time. While the voice of Jesus calls you, be in time. If in sin you longer wait, you may find no open gate. And your cry be just too late, be in time. I just want to close with one verse of scripture. And that's Amos chapter 4, verse 12. And it's the end of the verse says, prepare to meet thy God. Are you prepared? Are you ready to meet God today? If you had to pass away today, are you prepared? I pray that everyone here is saved and that no one leaves this place without trusting in Jesus as their Savior. Amen. I just want to close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this, your word, Lord. Lord, we pray, Lord, that this word would not return void, Lord. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would work in everyone's heart here today, Lord, both the saved and the unsaved, Lord. I pray for the unsaved mostly, Lord, that they may come to know and trust in you as their Savior, Lord. Pray, Lord, that they would not put their, their, their life at chance, Lord, or hope to go to hell, but rather let them make a decision today, Lord, that they may come to trust in you as their Savior, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you work on their hearts, that they may come seek someone and speak to them, Lord. And, Lord, for all the, 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 your children here, all those that believe in you, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would just work in their hearts, Lord, that they have a new resolve, Lord, that would earnestly go out and share the gospel message, Lord, to everyone around them, to friends, family. Lord, we know how, how terrible hell is. And we pray, Lord, that you just put that burden on our hearts, Lord, that we may go out to share the gospel. And we ask you to bless the remainder of the service. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.